Good afternoon. The past year or so has presented me with some real challenges, opportunities to feel awful about my life and myself. Some of them I've shared with you here in the past. There have been times when I just wanted to crawl under my covers and stay there until it was over. And I've had some amazing, wonderful, ecstatic experiences over that same time. One of those wonderful things actually has been the opportunity to attend a lot of live music. I love to go to see music and I love a lot of bands. And I've had the chance to see my three favorite musical artists at least once and in one case twice, just in the past 12 to 15 months. As well, I've been introduced to some new music and that's been fun. In fact, recently in the spring, I saw Arcade Fire for the first time at an arena in Paris. And I must say, there's nothing like a Parisian rock music audience. <laughs> every person in that arena sang the words to every song for the entire two hours. The guy sitting next to me was stripped down to his bare chest by the end of the show, singing all night long. It was magical. But I've been thinking about the music and musicians that I love, that I most enjoy. And I realize that each connects me to a very different and very specific emotional experience. For example, when I listen to Beck, and I, I actually took that picture last year in Telluride, I experience a sense of joyful release, ecstasy, silliness. His music is an opportunity for me to let go of the mundane, to disconnect from it, and to dance around with reckless abandon but I, I promise I won't do that here this morning. <laughs> Maybe a little. Radiohead, on the other hand, connects me with a sense of despair and loss. And when I allow myself to sit with those feelings for a while, I experience a catharsis, a release that comes from hearing the band's somber tones and Tom York's dystopian lyrics. When I listen to U2, I have to brag, that's my cousin's picture. When I listen to you too, the predominant feeling I have is hope. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Bono wears hope on his sleeve. And at times, it comes across as even a bit too much, perhaps annoying. But I love that the band is unapologetic about its hopefulness. I love that their music is so hopeful that it can stir me to tears. And each of these artists provides me with a way to crack through the rational and open a path to the soulful, a path to the charge of the soul. Now, while hope and joy are the kind of emotions and experiences I think we can all easily embrace, apple pie kind of feelings, despair is a bit tricky. It's paradoxically a necessary and useful response to disappointment, to dissolution and pain an opportunity to retreat to safety, and a dangerous, contagious darkness that can become its own fulfilling and reinforcing isolation. Today's Spirit Flicks film put me in mind to think a lot about despair, how it can engulf me, how, it can, how I can catch it from others, how I might pass it along, how it can lead me to do and think certain things, and it got me to thinking about the many opportunities for despair that can creep into my life and ours. 
Our Spirit Flicks film, First Reformed, is a story about despair that offers hope and reaches for transcendent ecstasy. It's the latest movie from Paul Schrader, and perhaps you may know his other work, best known for perhaps the movie Taxi Driver. This time our protagonist is a retired army chaplain and now minister, caretaker, and docent of First Reformed, a historic church in New York, upstate New York. Reverend Toller, played beautifully by Ethan Hawke, like Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver, comes to us damaged, lost, lacking in purpose. He has isolated himself in this largely empty church, empty of people and furniture. He finds comfort in alcohol and his own thoughts as shared in a written and narrated diary. Interestingly to me, Reverend Tyler's actions are not consistent with what he's saying and telling us in the diary. He's, he's in fact removed from himself. He's at some distance from himself. He's disconnected. First Reformed is a spiritual movie. It plums the core themes of human existence, meaning, purpose, death, redemption, God, the kinds of things we might discuss in Wellsprings 2.0. But it's also a religious movie as it draws deeply on Christianity, its symbols, its messages, and beliefs. And while the spiritual issues raised by First Reformed are universal, Schrader's response is grounded in what he knows best, the imagery, ideas, and iconography of traditional Christianity. Now, Schrader's script and particularly his direction are very effective, at least for me, at bringing the audience into that place of feeling despair. It was uncomfortable. In particular, Schrader filmed First Reform in such a way that we're forced to look through a really small, square screen. He does not track the action. He just stays still right there. People move off the screen and back onto the screen. Things happen that you can't see, you can only hear. He holds our attention, though, on the empty space. It created for me feelings of real discomfort and frustration, especially since I've been fed on a diet of widescreen action movies where you're just swirling through the action. I felt trapped, perhaps like somebody might feel trapped in a state of despair. I wanted to get out of my seat run up to the screen and look around the edge of the frame to see what was, what, where did Ethan Hawke go? What is he doing? Slowly it began to feel contemplative. I was forced to let go of my attachment to the action, the so-called action, and accept the confinement. Paying, only atten- paying attention to only what was right in front of me not knowing what was going on outside my field of vision, outside my control. Schrader's choice was very intentional, obviously, and for me, very affecting and very powerful. Now, the action in this film is engaged when a pregnant woman, Mary, approaches Reverend Tyler after a Sunday service. And she's worried about her husband. He's depressed, he's angry, he's in despair. All of this stems from his feelings that the environmental doom is upon us. And he's worried, and he's angry, and he's frustrated. 
Reverend Tyler's meeting with Mary's husband, Michael, is very pivotal. It's the key scene in the entire movie for me. Recall that our minister is himself in a weakened state. He's damaged from the loss of his son in Iraq, about which he feels personally responsible. The dissolution of his marriage and his own broken faith. And it's in this state that Reverend Tyler visits with Michael. Michael shares all of his concerns, his worries, his fears. He goes through the data. He explains everything that's going wrong. The disaster is upon us. Reverend Tyler parries, offering a defense of God and hope. Then Michael asks a question. And Tyler has no good answer for it. Can God forgive us for what we have done to this world? Tyler's only response is, No one can know the mind of God. This moment is so pivotal to the story because Reverend Toller fails to persuade Michael and is actually himself infected with despair in that moment. You can literally see it land and take hold of him. The moment struck me deeply because it put me in mind of my own experience where it's so easy to find things to be in despair where it's easy to share it through my words and through my actions to find a kind of dark comfort in that place of being in despair. David White, a poet, a biologist, and a writer, offers us this thought on despair, which I found interesting and on point. Despair is the place we go when when we no longer want to make a home in this world where we feel with a beautifully cruel form of satisfaction that we may never have deserved that home in the first place. Despair, strangely, has its own sense of achievement. And despair, even more strangely, needs despair to keep it alive. And so it it is for us in our despair. We can sink into it, isolate ourselves, reinforce it with those who share it and spread it around. We might be in despair over the status of our place of gathering. We might be in despair over something deeply personal about which we feel shame. We might be in despair over the environment, gun violence, the general dysfunction of our politics. Perhaps even our president is driving some of us to despair. In our isolation, the despair becomes its own reinforcing truth with its own sense of achievement and righteousness. Because I can easily find myself caught up in this, I'm seeking a response to it. Our film offers us several possibilities. Michael, our terrorized environmentalist, is preparing to harm others and so extend his despair and anger out into the world. He's building a suicide bomb vest. Ultimately, Michael chooses to harm himself and to remove himself from this world and its pain. But Reverend Toller, now infected with Michael's despair in the form of concern about the the impending doom of our environment, considers and plans to take up that vest and lash out in anger. As he says at one point in the movie, 
Somebody has to do something. Harm to others and self-harm are two variations on the same response to despair. Make it all go away through some dramatic act of anger or violence and destruction. But there is for me a limitation to this response. Like many acts of physical violence or verbal or otherwise, it doesn't really confront despair. It just tries to destroy it by destroying the self or others. I have compassion for the pain and the suffering. I really do. And I empathize with that need to be heard and to be felt and to lash out against that pain. But I need a more affirmative response. I want a more affirmative response. And so too, actually, does Schrader. And he offers that to us in the form of Mary. Mary carries within her one of the most visceral expressions of hope that humans are capable of. The next generation, the next iteration, the promise of life in the future. She was a reminder to us that life will continue, that life will carry on, and we must choose, as Reverend Tyler must choose, to stay frozen, holding our breath against despair and isolation, letting it destroy us or accept the hope that Mary offers. Hope in the form of Mary's character reminds us that while despair may begin in darkness and isolation, and may involve pain. Like the darkness of the womb and the pain of childbirth, so I'm told, despair can be transformed into new life, new connections, a new song for us to sing. For Schrader, it is a recognition that the grace of hope is not rational. It's paradoxical. It's transcendent. It can even be shocking. And if you've seen the movie and you're thinking about the end of the movie, it's shocking and weird and disorienting, to say the least. And that's on purpose. We are unable, we are, when we are able to breathe into the isolation of our despair, to reconnect with our humanity, and in so doing to find compassion for ourselves and for others, we can transform our despair into hope, transcend the ordinary into the sublime. While watching this movie and thinking about this message, I kept coming back to a story about Admiral James Stockdale. It's probably useful to talk to him since we just lost another great American hero yesterday. Stockdale spent eight years as the highest-ranking prisoner during the Vietnam War. Repeatedly tortured and mistreated, Stockdale says of his time as a prisoner of war, quote, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. He would not trade eight years of torture and captivity. Not unlike Mandela and others who have had to deal with confinement and brutality, Stockdale's story is a reminder that we can transform our suffering by embracing the paradox of never giving up hope 
and honestly accepting the situation. Stockdale tells us actually it was the optimists who didn't make it. Repeated failure to meet optimistic expectations broke their spirit, robbed them of hope, and ultimately led to their demise. The paradox of being honest about the reality of their circumstances, accepting these circumstances as they were, and never losing hope in the ultimate outcome is what carried him and the others through that horrible experience. And I believe can carry us when we are in despair. Returning again to David White, he says, we take the first steps out of despair by taking on its full weight and coming fully to ground in our wish not to be here. We let our bodies and we let our world breathe again. In that place, strangely, despair cannot do anything but change into something else, into some other season as it was meant to do from the beginning. Refusing to despair about despair, we can let despair have its own natural life and take a first step into the foundational ground of human compassion, the ability to see and understand and touch and even speak the heartfelt grief of another. When I reflect on these words, I come again to our current moment, a moment not short of reasons for despair. The callousness of our discourse the brutal treatment of children and families at our border, the shaming of kindness and difference, the feeling that all rules and guidelines of human decency have been drained from our politics. It makes me want to withdraw. It makes me want to retreat. On occasion, I've even exploded, like a bomb, trying to make it go away, hurting people I love and with whom I might disagree. And I wonder, how can I move through and beyond this feeling of my own despair and away from the urge toward isolation and violence. I have to be honest, there have been moments this summer when I've been in despair about wellsprings. I've worried about our ability to sustain ourselves through this period and out in the wilderness, cast out of our home. I want to retreat. I want to give up. I want to let go and move on. I want to lash out in anger. When I'm feeling this way, I'll pop on one of my favorite Radiohead songs. It's called Let Down. I love this song because it's one of those songs where the melody and the lyrics, they were made to go together. They just married so perfectly and it hooks you right in. And also they perfectly capture the sense of disappointment an existential dread that I sometimes feel when I'm in despair. The first stanza goes something like this to that song. It goes exactly like this. And I won't sing it. Transport. Motorways and tram lines. Starting and then stopping. Taking off and then landing. The emptiest of feelings. Disappointed people clinging onto bottles. And when it comes, it's so, so disappointing. Let down and hanging around. Yeah, there's some really dark sentiments and they get even darker. But they capture that sense of repetitive motion without forward movement. 
the emptiness that despair can often yield, the experience of being disappointed with others and ourselves and the world. And when I hear the melody and I listen to the lyrics, it's a way for me to honestly confront, like Admiral Stockdale, to honestly confront and look at my circumstances and be present with my pain. It helps me move to a place of compassion. I wonder about the parents of the Montgomery School, the members of their board, who may also feel in some despair. I'm able to connect with them in a way. I want to know them more fully, which opens my heart to the potential and the possibility of hope. Now, I usually have to follow up a period of listening to Radiohead with some U2. And to me, I listen to this because it reminds me of the boundlessness of hope. To buoy my spirit and open my heart more fully to those with whom I might disagree, to connect with the hope that can arise from that compassion. The song that I go to is Beautiful Day. That usually does it for me. And it finishes with these words, very simple. Touch me. Take me to that other place. Reach me. I know I'm not a hopeless case. What you don't have, you don't need it now. What you don't know, you can feel it somehow. And they repeat, what you don't have, you don't need it now. You don't need it now. It was a beautiful day. I don't know what's going to happen. What I can do is be honest about our situation, which our board has been and continues to be. I can be compassionate toward my feelings and keep my faith in the fact that Wellsprings will be okay. That this may be our defining moment. The one we would not want to change. You two often finish their live performances with a song based on Psalm 40. And the first few lines of that psalm inspired Bono. And for, for me, they are a reminder that hope is always right there in front of us, even when things are very dark. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Compassion for ourselves, connection to something beyond ourselves, and empathy toward others are cool tools through which we can experience our despair. We could breathe into it, as David White suggests, confront it unlike Reverend Toller, who's trying to push it away. Let it be, and so transform it. Schrader believes in this kind of paradoxical, transcendent transformation. He offers it to Reverend Toller and to us. I believe it's how we must live, so that the tough realities and the challenges that life present us can give rise and give rise to despair, that they can be transformed and transcended. May we live in blessing. Will you pray with me?
God of despair, compassion, and hope, may your breath be our breath. May we breathe into our pain, into our despair, into the unknowing. Through our breath, through our patience, we make space for compassion. We make space for hope. We place our feet upon the new ground. We place the words of a new song in our mouths. Amen.